So guys, no Congo line today. Okay, sorry. Because we're still in it. God already started it. We're still in it. And it doesn't end until we get to the home that he just sang about. Okay, so the Congo line doesn't end until we get there. But I do want to continue in the, the principles that came across in the first lesson, God is a verb. I, pre- I presented this thought, and I want to go back to that verse that gave us that insight in John 5.17 to start off here this morning. It says, In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. A lot of what Chris said about with Jesus and the cross, even though the cross was an individual event in time, it's not limited by time. It is still working to this very day. God is a verb. Jesus is a verb. God is always working. He, He began in the creation, and He's been working ever since. And Jesus, too, has been working. Even as He worked in His life, He worked in His resurrection, He's still alive. He's going to return one day. He is still working. But we're left with a question that I didn't really address last week. For what purpose? For what purpose is God, is Jesus, is the Holy Spirit always working? Because we can read that verse, He's always working. Well, I don't feel He's working in my life because you think the purpose is about you. Right? But is that the purpose He's working for? God is working for His own purpose, not yours. Now, if your purposes align with His, He's working for you. But if your purpose is not aligned with Him, He might not necessarily be working with you, He might be working against you. Because God is always working. So what does it mean? For what purpose is God working? And I found a really interesting passage in 1 John chapter 3. So if you'll turn there, and this will pretty much be the foundation for a two-part series. Okay, Because there's so much information that can come out of this verse that I'm going to need two sermons to do it because I don't want to keep you past lunch. Okay, I don't eat Sunday mornings. I don't eat until after I've preached. So that's why my lessons are getting quicker. So, so it's to your advantage. Okay, Although, What am I going to do about 2 p.m.? Ooh. I may have to change my rules just a little bit. Have a big breakfast and then don't eat lunch or something. I'll figure it out. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seeds remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. It's a short verse, but there's something super powerful in it. And it really makes us think of two very important questions. First, what did Jesus come to destroy? And second, how is it destroyed? Let's tackle that first question. What did Jesus come to destroy? You know, if we follow the structure of the sentence, the phrase, to destroy the devil's work. Okay, so we know he came to destroy what? But now the question is, what is the devil's work? That's how it works, right? Now we have another question. 
Well, if you follow the actual Scripture, that phrase is sandwiched by two important parts of that sentence. It's very interesting. The first part, 1 John 3, chapter 8, first part of that verse, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then at the other side of that sandwich, 1 John 3, 9, first part, no one is born of God will continue to sin. In between those two, sin from the beginning, those born of God will not sin. And in between, Jesus destroys the devil's work. So what is the devil's work? Sin. It's sinning. That's the devil's work. His main goal in life, and his life is a little more powerful than ours, can extend over generations of time until the end, is to destroy you with sin. And he does not only destroy those who don't follow God. In fact, he targets Christians more than anyone. He doesn't need to target those who are already lost in their sin. He is working 24-7, does not take vacations to destroy you. Right. But he is so subtle in his approach. He could even have you think you're doing spiritual things that is actually sinning. He can use scriptures. He's very good at it. He knows the Bible quite well. So you've got to know it better if you don't want to be deceived by Him. That is His work. Sin. Jesus came to destroy sin. Not just the guilt of sin. Because if all He came to do was destroy the guilt, we could just continue on sinning into heaven. Right? No, He's not just changing the guilt of sin. You can't change the sin you've already done. He wants to destroy sinning itself. What? How's that possible? The work of the devil is to tempt you and I and everyone to sin. And when we sin, his work is accomplished. Every time we give in to sin, we've done the Satan's work instead of God's work. So who are you working for? Come on, preach. Who you're working for. Because who you work for is the one who's going to ultimately pay you. If you're working for God, the payment's pretty good. Yes. It's eternal life. If you're working for Satan, the debt, wages of sin, is death. That's what he pays you. But see, Satan's great because he saves the death part till the very end. He gives you the pleasure now. He gives you the delights now. He offers dessert before the main course, which is actually you. Let that one sink in for a minute. He tempts you with, no, this will be okay. You'll change one day. But we don't know when that day will come. This is Satan's work. The sin is defined for us actually earlier in 1 John. It adds a different term to what the devil's work is. What is sin then? Go a little early in 1 John 3, verse 4. It says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, there is a divine law that the Creator has the right to enforce. We cannot question divine law. 
And whether you believe in God or believe in the laws that He gives us through His Word, that law still exists. It doesn't matter what culture. You can find the most obscure tribe of aborigines or a super-civilized society. There are moral laws that all of them accept. And there are punishments for them. Number one, murder. That, that is dealt with in almost every single society. Why? They didn't have a Bible to tell them that that's a divine law because it's written on us. We're made in God's image. There is a law. Sin is breaking that divine law, whether you believe in God or not. If you go to another country, whether you are a, a, a national of that country, if you break the law in that country, it doesn't matter if you're not a national in that country. You're going to face the penalty. So whether you believe in God or not, you break the divine law, you're going to face the consequences, and you can't say, well, I'm not a Christian. Tough. Tough. Whoa. The sin then is serious. goes on. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. That's, a, that, that's an interesting term because when you think of even American society, that's actually what we preach and desire. Don't tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing. We're free to do whatever. We need to accept everything. What we're preaching and what we're embracing in American society is lawlessness. That's what it is. And has it helped us? Seems like it gets worse every year. He said, turn on the news and go, this idea of freedom is actually slavery. Or slavery to Christ is actually true freedom. Lawlessness. But you know that He appeared. Huh, we see that again. So that He might take away sins. So we're seeing very clearly, Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. What is it? It's sin. It's lawlessness. And in Him is no sin. He did that in human form. So whether we want to believe it or not, God has given us the potential to not sin. And we're all sinners. And we can misinterpret that scripture that it says, you know, that a Christian will not not sin. No, it says it won't continue to sin. It's not a perpetual perfection here. It's we're going to sin. But when you're a child of God, you recognize it. You confront it and you go, I can't continue this. Right. That's what it's referring to. Amen. But God believes there's a point we can not sin. It is possible. Jesus did it in human form. Human limitations. It says, no one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. So you got to think about that. If you are unrepentant in any sin, you're basically saying, I no longer live in Jesus. But I'm a member of the DFW Church. doesn't matter. I come every Sunday. It doesn't matter. I give every week. doesn't matter. If you keep on sinning, when you know you're sinning, there are sins we don't know. That's why we need constant intercession by Jesus, as Chris talked about. Literally, our probably list of sins we don't know we're doing is probably bigger than the sins that we do know we're doing. But when we're conscious, now we're accountable. And if we are continuing sin and we know we're in sin, or we ignore we're in sin because brothers and sisters are confronting that sin, but we go, no, I think my way's better. Your lawlessness is better. Then you're saying you're not in Him. Now, I'm saying that you can go in and out of salvation. No. I think God is amazingly gracious and amazingly patient. But if you keep on sinning, the 
end result will be you're not in Him. You could attend church, Jesus could return and go, I don't know you. Get away from me, you evildoer. Yeah. But once saved, always saved. Where is that in the Bible? Preach. It's not there. Even in the Old Testament, guys, the relationship with God could be lost. Look at the life of Saul. Spirit left him and demons came in. That there's a, an expectation when God saves that we continue in that Congo line. We don't get out of the Congo line and go do another dance. We've got to stay in His dance. We can't keep on sinning. No one who continues to sin, in case you didn't get the first verse, has either seen Him or known Him. So when we're unrepentant, we're basically saying, I, I know better than Jesus. What I desire is more important than what God desires. That's what it's saying. You can't continue to sin. This is what Jesus came to destroy. But see, Satan's not done just because Jesus resurrected. Satan's still working. And he's working to destroy us with sin. So what is sin? What? It is lawlessness. What's that? How does the, tempt, the devil tempt us to sin, to be lawless? Well, a clue was given in the very first verse, there in 1 John 3, verse 8. In the beginning. said, Satan has been sin, sinning since the beginning. He's tempting us to sin since the beginning. So I think we've got to go to the beginning if we're going to understand what is this lawlessness that Jesus actually came to destroy. Amen? Amen. And I think as we look at this, we're going to find something very interesting. But before I get to the beginning, look at this in Hebrews 4. It's a little verse that may seem contradictory to what we've been talking about, that God is always working. Hebrews 4, verse 3, third part. And yet His works have been finished since the creation of the world. The context of this is talking about the actual creation where God worked for six days and then He rested. And it's saying His works are completed. Wait a minute, Derek. You just said God is always working. But this says His work is finished. Sounds like a contradiction, right? No. Because God's not limited by time. His work may be finished, but it is still working. The cross was a finished moment. Jesus even said, it's finished. But it's still working. Now, you may think, well, that, that's just too big. But, but you've got to see what that actually means. It means if the work was finished and it's still working, there is nothing, nothing that can stop it from being finished. Even the devil's work can't interfere ultimately in what God wants to accomplish. Because it's finished. He's rested. He's resting. He's already done the work, and it's still, it's still moving. Wow. See, a lot of stuff, when we complete something, it starts to degrade almost immediately. Right. Yeah. You get a brand new car, drive it off, it's already less. Right? right? God's not that way. God is not limited by time. When He finished the work, He can sit back, He's resting, He's waiting for the day to invite us to the rest, but guess what? It's still going. It's the first Energizer Bunny. <laughs> it just keeps going and going and going. And going. God is not limited by time. That's why we can, from our perspective, God is always working. From God's perspective, He's actually resting. His work's finished. He finished it in the beginning. But something happened. Something had to happen. 
Though God's work is finished, because it's a relationship, He has to let you finish it too. He has to give you a choice. And that choice also allows the door for Satan to step in, to tempt us to sin. And since the beginning, that's what Satan's done. So let's go to Genesis. Let's find out what's going on here. God is not limited by time, and even Satan's work does not interrupt his purpose, but his work does oppose him. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, Satan doesn't tell you. He asks you. Because he wants you, out of your own desire, to sin. He can't make you sin, but he can entice you to sin. He can't tell you to sin, but he can ask you to sin. You have to give in to that question. You've got to answer the question. And notice the very first question Satan uses that leads to sin, that leads to lawlessness, is God who He says He is? That's where He always starts. Is God really always at work? I mean, think about right now in your life, does it feel like He's working? Is God really who He says He is? That's where He starts. Yeah. And see, the minute he can put down in God, then you start to put more trust in yourself. Well, since God's not always really there for me, you're right, Satan. And I look at the situation, I think you're right. I think, is that really, is he really going to be true to his promise? You know, maybe I should go another way. That's how he does it. Yeah. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You notice even the question is twisted. God never said that. God said you can eat of every tree, but one. But Satan twisted go, you can't eat anything, right? Oh yeah. Wait a minute, that's not what God said. But it's amazing how we can hear what we want to hear when our desires are more important than God. And Satan uses that. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So fortunately at this moment, he still remembered. Right. Okay, no, wait, no, wait, wait, say, wait a minute, God didn't say that. We can actually eat of all trees, but the one in the garden, in the middle, that we see every day. Actually, it looks really good too. Why, do, why does he tell me I can't eat that one? And, and that's our human nature. All the stuff we can eat. I can eat this, I can eat that. And yet the one thing we can't becomes our focus. Children? Teens? Oh, my mom won't let me do this. My dad won't let me do this. But have you forgotten all the things they do let you do? They let you live under the roof. You could, they could get kicked out on the street and go earn it yourself. They pay for the electricity that allows you to get on the internet and play your video games. So they could go play your video games, but you don't have no electricity. All the parents are going, great idea. Sorry, guys. Suddenly, suddenly you'll come back after work and there'll be solar panels up for your kid's room. I got power. But isn't it amazing how all the stuff God allows us to do, but we grumble about the one thing He says we shouldn't. That's what happens. 
And here's Satan. You will not certainly die. Now, how did the serpent become the expert? Why is he suddenly valid in that statement? Shouldn't we test that one out? You have God who created it all, and He's the one who has the divine laws for His creation. Then you have this little serpent coming around, oh, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. I know better. It's like the nurse telling you a, a, a diagnosis rather than the doctor who comes in. You going to trust the nurse over the doctor? Some cases, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. Sometimes the nurses have a better bedside manner. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm getting at. It's like, why are suddenly he's the expert? The world's the expert. Your friend who's not a disciple, who has different standards, suddenly they know better than the divine law that has been passed down since the beginning of mankind. Somehow this world has greater knowledge to offer. It's just like the serpent. Oh, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. He's a liar. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, going after God. There's a reason God's doing this to you. He's holding back. God's holding back. He's oh, he hasn't got everything for you in mind. He has his own agenda. He's holding back from you something really good. Really? When I look at history and I look at how God's moving His people and He's moved through Jesus, is that what He's doing? No. But that's what we can think. That's what the world offers. That's what our sinful nature offers. And that's what Satan offers. That's his work. Does it make you doubt that God, for some reason, is holding back from you? No, we're holding back from Him. Yeah. We're not giving Him our whole heart and our whole trust. Amen. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Notice that the sin didn't happen instantly, did it? You have to be enticed. But the enticement would not work if there was no desire in you for it. Right? right, right Guys, there are certain sins that we don't even struggle with. And it's different for each one of us. Smoking has never been a temptation for me. Ever. If someone tries to entice me with a cigarette, it's not going to work. I have no desire. But there are other sins I do. And those I can be enticed by. So I'm not here to say those who struggle with smoking or struggle with us. We all have something. But an enticement doesn't work unless you desire it. We've got to deal with the desire. There was a desire from the beginning. Yeah, why can't I have that one? And then Satan got her to focus on just the one. And now all of a sudden, that does look really good. But I have a feeling, guys, all the other fruit that you could have eaten was amazing. We're in a fallen creation and it's still pretty beautiful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fruit's still pretty amazing, except for the stuff we put all the chemicals in. But imagine an apple in the Garden of Eden. What did that taste like? <laughs> what did a banana taste like? There may have been fruit we don't even have anymore that was in that garden. That was amazing. But no, no. It's that one. The one I don't get to have. Oh, you're right, Say That looks really good. I think I want some of that. So pleasing the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So don't get all down on the woman. He knows the laws too. 
He actually knew him before Eve because he was there first. He had more time to have that conviction. He made a mistake too. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. There is a certain holiness to naivety. Why are we so quick to want to get rid of that? Do we really want to know all that's good and evil? Really? Do we want our children to experience all that is good and evil so quickly? Because even though, oh no, but we're in a society where we're free to think as we want, we're free to do things as we want, we don't judge, we are open all. And has it really made it better? They eyes were open. And then they immediately felt naked. They felt less than what they were created to be. They felt shame. They felt self-conscious. There was insecurities. That's what the freedom the world is offering only brings. There are some things I don't want to know. That's the hard thing being in the ministry because i got to know ugly stuff in dealing with people's sin. Sometimes I'm like, oh Lord, help me just not even think about it. But I love my brother and my sister, so I'm willing to do it. God's willing to do it, and He does if you continue the story. So they sewed fig leaves. <laughs> Great job. Not very big, by the way. And made coverings for themselves. Up to this point, God was providing everything. Now they had to provide for themselves. Sin is lawlessness. Satan tempted mankind to sin by rejecting the authority of God to become like God themselves. It's, in other words, a law for themselves. And that's what we do all the time. I'm the exception. I'll be okay. This is, this is alright for me. I'm higher than you. This is not a sin in my mind. And your mind's the judge of what's sin and what's not? I thought it's a divine law that's the judge of that. And that's how Satan gets us. That's his work. So what is lawlessness? Here's three things that this passage shows us. The work of Satan to get us to sin. This is what lawlessness is. Lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to rule over us. How did Jesus destroy the work of lawlessness? He's bringing back authority. I'm Lord. Amen. You want salvation? You have to have a Lord first. There's no Savior without Lord. Right. Because sin is lawlessness. Sin is saying, I don't need God to rule over me. You want salvation? You want eternity? You want a relationship with God? Then you must have His authority back in your life. There is no other way. Whether you like it or not. And the funny thing is, you think you're in authority of your own life and you're not. Your sin actually ends up being the authority in your life. Your desires become the authority. Your emotions become your authority. You actually don't have control. The only thing God actually gives us control of is who's going to lead us. I can choose either for God or I can choose for Satan, my sinful nature, myself. That's the only control I have. And God will never interfere with your free will. He won't do it. But that doesn't mean there won't be consequences for the divine law. Lawlessness is replacing God's law with one's own contrary desires. That's what it is. That's what sin is. It's like, hey God, I know what you're saying. I know your promises. I don't need them. I got my own thing. Lawlessness is being a law unto yourself. How you live in your life, do you have any kind of code, a moral law, a divine will to guide you? 
or are you just living unto yourself? Well, I'm different. I don't need laws. I don't need people over me. I know what I'm doing. Really? Really? How's that going for you? It may bring some temporary pleasure, some temporary desires to you, but how is it really affecting everyone around you? God's divine law was actually to allow us to live for eternity with Him. That was the original plan. In fact, that work is already done. He finished it. His work is completed. And then He rested. But then Satan's work began. And he's trying to go against God's work. And that's why Jesus had to come. God is always working. Even though Jesus' work was done in the beginning, that work is continuing even into our own day. Because already you continue the story in Genesis, God set in motion how He's going to redeem us. He's already had Jesus in mind because His work was already done. He, he already knew what was going to happen to Adam and Eve. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knew what was going to happen. And so in His work that was completed, even before Adam and Eve sinned, He already had a solution. That's why God is always working. Even though His work is done, it's, it still works to this day. Look at this interesting passage in Proverbs 16. I think confronting the true heart sin behind lawlessness, pride. Look at this passage. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Not by you, not by society, not by your culture, not by even your faith. It's weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. He is always working, and it's for a purpose. Even the wicked, for a day of disaster. He will deal with sin. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. The Lord is working. And though His work was finished in the beginning, it's always working. Why did Jesus come to destroy? Sin. Lawlessness. But that leads us to the second question. How is it destroyed? There's actually two things that were mentioned in that first passage of how this work is destroyed. We're just going to hit the one quickly, and next week I'll hit the second one. But here are the two things up front so you know. How is this sin, this lawlessness, destroyed? Number one, His appearing. It's referring to Jesus. Without His appearance, we have no hope. But that's not enough. Just Jesus appearing didn't destroy it for you. It destroyed it. His work's completed on the cross. Sin is destroyed. But not for you. Your work's not done yet. There's a second part. And that's new birth. And we'll get into that next week. But let's focus on His appearing here quickly. 1 John 3, 5. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away sins... And in Him is no sin. That was part of the passage, right? Why did Jesus appear? To take away sin. So, one of the ways He destroyed sin was He had to appear. He had to show up. How many times we continue in sin because we don't show up? We don't appear to our brothers and sisters. We rather go, no, I'll miss midweek. I'll miss the D group. I'll miss the Balta. I'll miss service. I don't need to appear. I'll be okay. And you're wondering why you're enslaved. Part of destroying sin is you've got to show up. Yeah. Jesus appeared 
to destroy sin. And then a little later, 1 John 3.8, we see it again. The reason the Son of God appeared, He didn't just speak. He didn't just say from heaven, stop that. He appeared. In fact, He appeared in such a way that you have no excuse. Well, God, you don't understand. You're telling me to stop. But see, you're up there. You're divine. You're all-powerful. You don't have limitations. You don't have weakness. Okay. I hear you. Now I'm going to be you. From birth. That is. I'm not going to come as an adult. I'm going to have to grow up with the same insecurities, bullying, you name it. I'm going to face all the temptations you have faced, but I'm not going to sin. He appeared so that we have no excuse. Wow! And He appeared to destroy the devil's work. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus, that's what He did. What did Jesus do? He preached the good news and He healed the sick. Because part of Satan's work is also to hurt you physically. It is. I'm not saying we don't need doctors or medicine, but I do think a lot of our health issues in the world today comes from Satan working. He's working to hurt us because if He can get us insecure about our own bodies, if He can weaken us there, then He'll weaken our spiritual side too. Our body and our temple are connected. God, I think, I think some of us right now are hurting spiritually because we're not taking care of our temple. We're not healthy. We have too much sickness that doesn't need to be if we would focus on our health. I'm not talking about weight here. I'm not talking about thin, fat. I'm talking about health. Being healthy. I, I have felt the difference losing this weight. 34 pounds now. It's helped me spiritually. It's helped me in our relationship. It's helped me in many ways. Guys, we can't separate physical and spiritual. Our body is a temple for the spirit to reside in. He appeared to destroy the devil's works, which included our body. He healed. He encouraged. He emboldened. His appearing is the first part. How did He appear? He appeared as one of us. As a flesh. As a human. That's how He appeared. But, is this appearing only referred to Him as a man? No. John 21, 14. Because that man had to die. He had to pay a price for our sin. As John, as Chris so clearly showed how He intercedes for us through the cross. But then, it didn't stay there, did it? Because when you follow God's divine law, Satan's work doesn't work. The goal of Satan's work is death, because the wage of sin is death. But because Jesus didn't do Satan's work, He did God's work, then death could not be the end. And He was raised again. It says... Verse 14 of John 21. This was now the third time Jesus appeared. He actually appeared many times to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. Notice it didn't say He came to them in their ear and said, I'm still alive. (laughs) He appeared. He didn't have to. He could have just gone straight. I'm, I'm done, guys. Now on you. No, He understood, guys, I have dealt with sin. I've destroyed the work, but your work's not complete. So I need to appear to you to show you this is what you could have. Death is not the end. But you're not done with your work. And Satan's not done with his work. My work's completed and it is always working. But yours isn't. So he appeared. And do you realize there's going to be one more appearing? It's when he returns. And at that point, your work is done. So you better decide who you're working for. 
If when Jesus appears the next time, you're working for Satan, then you're going to face His consequence. And it doesn't look very good if you look at Revelations. Or you're working for God. Then you're going to have the same reward that Jesus Himself got for working. Death is not the end. You get to take that tree of life. You know, in the new heaven and new Eden, guess what's back there? Tree of eternal life. You know what's not there? The knowledge of good and evil. That tree's gone. God's finally saying, okay, I've given you a chance to choose. Now you've chosen. Now I'm removing all temptation. Now you're with me forever. Isn't this awesome? But who are you working for? 2 Timothy. This gives a little better description of this resurrected appearance of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. What? Wait a minute. I thought it was given to us on the cross. No. God's work was completed in the beginning. That included Jesus. It included grace. It included the cross. Even before Adam sinned. God has a work that is finished and it is still working until it's fulfilled in our lives. It was in the beginning, that grace. But it has now been revealed. See, now it shifts from God's perspective. His work's done. Now it's our perspective. But He's still working. Because now it's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life in immortality to light through the gospel. God's work's done, guys. I don't I hope this sinks in how amazing that statement is. His salvation is done. No matter what work Satan does right now, it won't stop his work from being fulfilled. But your work's not done. From your perspective, God is still working. Because he is through the grace that was in the beginning, through the cross that was in the mind of God in the beginning. Since that moment in our time, in our history, that Jesus died on that cross and three days raised again, that work is completed. He says it's finished, but it's not done for you yet. It's still always working. God is always working. He's a verb. Jesus is a verb. It's still working. The question is, who are you working for? But that's only one side of the equation of how to destroy sin. Jesus appeared. Part we have to play is the new birth. That's the only way sin is destroyed for you. Jesus' appearance destroyed sin and death as a whole, but for you to participate in it, we've got to go to the next part of that equation, which is the new birth. And we'll do that next week. Amen? Amen. God is always working. God has finished His work, but that work continues for us. I want to close with this passage, and then we'll be dismissed with a prayer. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Past tense. It's already here. It's already available. That offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, lawlessness, and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives to this present age. I don't care what this age is telling you. We're going to live God's divine law, not man's. Not this world's view. While we wait for the blessed hope, 
the appearing, the final appearing of Jesus, of the glory of our God and great Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness, because that's why He appeared, to destroy sin, to destroy the devil's work, and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. So guys, we cannot say we're in Christ if we keep on sinning. Because when we're saved, when we get that new birth, which we're going to talk about next week, we can't continue to sin. We now work for God. We don't work for Satan. We don't work for our own nature. Guys, God is always working.